We should probably let people know what we've been doing over the past seven days and not one more. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there, there's been a, a gap. Some of you have <laughs> noticed this and have sent us very kind messages, which we um, are so appreciative of. Um, yeah. It's time for us to sort of uh, talk about that a little bit and, and, and get back into things. Um, I think the, the easiest way to describe what's been going on is that um, some of our hosts have had some very important life changes happen. Yeah, um, life got in the and, way, so to speak. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that impacts the scheduling of a show, particularly a show that that aspires to be regular and uh, is not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we, um, you know, we, we had scheduling difficulties that meant that gap was growing larger and larger. And then we started talking a little bit about um, using this gap as an opportunity to reflect on the show and what what's been going well and what hasn't been going well, not just in terms of, you know, metrics and whatever, but in terms of like how we feel about it, right. because it's, it's got to stay fun for us and it's got to be something that we're excited to do. And so uh, we've been doing probably more discussion than you guys realize behind the scenes <laughs> to, to try and sort out what we want um, from the show going forward and, and what ideas we've got. Yeah. And I think it's not something you can rush, right? It's not something you can sort out in an afternoon. We've been discussing this, over Slack, you know, for months, really. And it's just not not an easy problem to solve because, like you said, uh, our life situation has changed significantly. Uh, and on top of that, if you take into account that we are literally an ocean apart, the time difference doesn't help. So scheduling no. was never easy to begin with, but now it's even more difficult. And not to use that as an excuse, because I think... Uh, it, there's no reason for an excuse to begin with. It's it's just what it is, and we made the choices that we needed to make. But I think we should have uh, maybe explained it a little better, and certainly a little sooner, because you guys deserve to know what's going on, and you have all the right to know if you can expect to get more episodes or not. So that's what we're trying to clear up right now. Uh, we definitely want to keep the show going. We definitely want to make it better, uh, as good as we can. And you are a, a very important part of that. And we don't want to do this without considering what you guys like about the show, what you want to hear from us. And uh, that's why we are actively asking for your feedback. I think now more than ever, it's very important that you share with us what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, how you can think we can make it better. Uh, and we're going to try and incorporate as much as that as much of that as we can because ultimately i mean we're doing the show for ourselves first because we like this because we enjoy it but it's a show for you guys so i think it's important that we get to hear from you and and that's what we're trying to do right now yeah and to be clear we've sorted out so what all of our discussion behind the scenes has mostly been around the logistics of okay how are we going to get this to be more regular what yeah. can we um you know it's all it's all the mechanics of of making the show happen so that that part's on us and i i feel much more comfortable about it now um so really it's down to feedback and and what kind of content we can discuss now that we've got a way to to continue the show um despite the lifestyle changes and things that have happened um, for the hosts. Um, so yeah, like Alvaro said, this is now, uh, you know, we we ask that if if you guys have some thoughts, um, share them with us, send us an email. If you're on Slack, um, talk to us there. If you're not on Slack, there'll be a link in the show notes for how you can join us. It's a really fun community that has stayed vibrant despite the show's relative uh, quietness on the air. Yeah, I'm so um, proud of our Slack members. They are the best. They really are. It's, it's unbelievable how much... Uh, interesting discussion happens in there uh, on a daily basis. Uh, it's it's really cool. It's one of my favorite places to hang out. Yeah, definitely. The other thing I wanted to uh, just make sure we're clear on, uh, this is probably not going to be a regular show going forward. I think that part of what was um, causing issues before is that we had this this stressful aspiration to be weekly or bi-weekly or whatever. And, and sometimes there isn't stuff that we're excited to talk about in a given week or in a given, you know, two week period. And rather than feeling like we have to get on air just to sort of go through the motions, I think uh, that was sucking a lot of the fun out of it. And, uh, yeah. and you know, it's something that we want to stay away from going forward. So we, we are going to uh, not promise a regular uh, schedule in terms of, you know, every Wednesday or whatever, but we will be on the air more frequently. Um, 
and it, it'll be circumstantial. You might get episodes faster than before. You might get them slower than before. It all depends on on what's going on and on what we're excited to talk about um, related to photography. Yeah, and hopefully the interesting part of this is that the schedule, if it ever becomes regular, it'll it'll work itself out. Like as yeah. soon as we get into the rhythm of recording episodes again, this has a way of gaining momentum. And once you're recording, we, we can we could very well end up recording every week, but we don't want to make promises that we end up not fulfilling. Not being but, able to yeah. keep. Yeah, exactly. And the only other meta thing that um, we should say at this point is that uh, as part of these discussions, we have come to the conclusion that perhaps one of the ways we can uh, improve things is by separating out some of the other random non-photography related discussion into its own dedicated show. So mm -hmm. we are exploring options for a, uh, a separate variety show with the uh, same hosts that you know and love, <laughs> um, but that's still in the works. Yeah, so. it's way too early. Just figured we tease that as something that's that's on our minds that we're developing. Yeah, we don't even know what form it'll take, but we're so excited to keep figuring that part out because I think it's a part of of podcasting that I really enjoy, and I definitely want to participate more and and yeah. put out more content in that vein. Uh, and sometimes it hasn't fit very well with uh, Candid as it existed, so that was a problem, and that was an area that we could have improved and we're trying to work. And, and like you said, some topics sort of disrupt the flow of the regular show and that's what we're trying to fix. Yeah, we just, we need a new home for that stuff. Yeah. So we're, we're building it. Uh, last thing, uh, you may have noticed that it's very quiet from the Manitoba corner today. Uh, <laughs> Josh is not with us today. Um, he is going to be joining us sort of on a on an as he can basis. Um, life is very busy for him right now, as you can imagine, and uh, we're we're so happy for him. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to put pressure on him to you know show up when he's got other things to focus his energy on. <laughs> so we welcome him whenever he's able to join us. Uh, and otherwise, you're you're stuck with the uh, with the European contingent here. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we hop into some uh, some news that's been percolating over the past few weeks? Well, I think there are clearly two items this week that are worth mentioning. And the first one, uh, I think, is a long-awaited news from Nikon, one of the two most important camera companies in the world historically, uh, alongside Canon. And finally, they appear to be jumping in on the mirrorless wagon. So... I'm excited to see what they what they finally end up announcing on August 23rd, which is when the yeah. official event will take place. So far, all we have is a teaser from uh, Nikon, which in which they kind of let you see parts of a body and parts of a lens, and uh, they're very skimpy on details. But what we do know is that it's going to be a new system, a new full frame uh, mirrorless system that it's going to have new lenses developed for it. These are, these are not going to be just the same F-mount lenses adapted to it, although there will be an adapter as well. Yep. Uh, and also, they seem to be teasing that the main focus of the new system, or at least the new camera, will be low-light performance because everything is super dark in the teaser. But that's still not confirmed. That's just speculation uh, on our part yeah. and on most of the internet, really. I wonder if that has to do with their, uh, not not so much with the camera, but also with the lenses, because I, it's my understanding that they've patented a bunch of like extremely fast, like F1 or something like that lenses, um, which people are expecting might become part of this new system. Right. So that might be their, uh, what they're trying to position themselves as is, you know, the, the full frame mirrorless option with, you know, crazy fast native glass um, that would allow for great low light performance or just great bokeh, really. And it could work because, for better or worse, uh, a faster aperture sells lenses. <laughs> and yeah. and in, in some cases, uh, a, a really good lens that has no equal on any other system can become a system seller. It's happened before and it could very well happen again. So it, it's probably not a bad strategy to to try to differentiate themselves from the rest of the of the competition, mainly Sony at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really interested to see what they come out with because the, the pressure is there i mean they have been struggling financially for a while now and i don't want to say that this is a bet the company move but it's dangerously close 
it does certainly seem like I mean I'm more excited by Nikon's um, rumors and and the announcement of this system because I think that Nikon historically has shown that they're much more willing to cannibalize their own products yeah. in terms of their lineup. So I I would not be surprised if this camera is effectively better than the D850, um, and that that would be very exciting because the D850 is a is an incredibly potent camera. And so if they've managed to improve upon it or, or honestly even match it, but in a mirrorless form factor, that's huge. And that's that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of professionals have been waiting on, because as much as we in the more geeky corner love to um, talk about the benefits of mirrorless and, and how we love adopting mirrorless cameras, even for professional work, a lot of stalwart um, veterans of the industry have been more reluctant because they don't trust these younger companies the way that they trust Nikon and Canon. And so I think there's a lot of pent up demand for a pro grade um, mirrorless offering from these two companies. And the fact that things seem to be pointing in the direction of, of this year being the one in which they finally both enter this market in a big way. um, I think it's a, I think we're at a turning point for the entire camera industry and it's, it's going to be very interesting to see, what they offer and how everyone else reacts, yeah. right? Because it might be it might be the kind of thing where they, by sheer virtue of their scale and reach, um, sweep everything else away. Even if they don't necessarily beat them on on the technical details, it might be you know like if if Canon ends up putting out the equivalent of a five D body but mirrorless, that's going to make a big splash, right? Yeah. This body again, if it ends up being like a D eight fifty but mirrorless, it will inevitably make a big splash. So it'll be very interesting in the coming months to see what happens. But I also feel like right now we know so little that it's not worth speculating too much uh except to say that it's exciting and that uh we're counting down the days yeah and to be fair expectations are sky high and i i do think the bar they they need to deliver like you said i think matching the d850 is probably a good target yeah because if they fall short of that then i mean they need to convince their own users first to mm-hmm. maybe give the mirrorless option a chance and then maybe they'll capture the rest of the market. That's how I see it anyway. Yeah. So if they put out a product that's mirrorless, but in otherwise, in any other way, it's inferior to the current flagship, which is the D850, the message that they're sending is weird at best. Like this has to be better than the D850, at least in some way. Yeah, I agree with you. It kind of does because otherwise it's not, it's not an upgrade and it's not a compelling uh, argument in, in favor of mirrorless. Yeah. Like we're serious about mirrorless, but not, not like that serious, right? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. We'll, we'll know soon enough. August 23rd is yeah, going to. We'll put a pin in that. We'll come yeah. back after August and see what, uh, what happens. Um, the other thing that uh, has been making waves is Peak Design. Um, they've launched their new, uh, their new travel line, which is uh Basically, it's a it's a new backpack and then a series of accessories that are designed to work with it. Yeah. Um, and it's dedicated to travel. Like I think um, so. I, for instance, have been waiting on them to to perhaps release an updated everyday backpack. And and this is not that. This is definitely um, hopping on the bandwagon of one bag travel solutions. And it is effectively their take on on that problem. So it's a it's a forty five liter um, sort of compressible bag that is designed to be your only bag as you as you travel and there's a camera cube there is a tech pouch there is uh, a set of packing cubes and then there is a uh, a wash pouch a dop kit basically and there's even a shoe pouch <laughs> and a shoe pouch right yeah <laughs> like they really went all out they released like 10 yeah. new 10 or more than 10 products overnight and it's all still in the kickstarter phase but you know pick design less than 24 hours after announcing the campaign they were already they had already hit their funding goal and now they're they've hit it like three times over. Yeah. So it's happening. These are already going to be real products. There's no uncertainty about that at all. No. And no. I find it very interesting, but I'm not necessarily uh wowed by this new bag. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh backpacks as travel bags, but in my experience, they don't necessarily mix great with camera gear right like i can i like using a backpack 
for my clothes or for my camera gear, but not necessarily for both. And I don't know that this new campaign gives me any new reasons to reconsider that option. Yeah, because realistically, it's uh, if you're if you're bringing your entire camera kit and clothing and everything like that, that becomes a very heavy bag. Yeah, you know, like a forty-five liter bag fully packed is not the kind of thing that I want on my back for day-long hikes or for you know even walking through the city it doesn't have to be like a, a nature hike or anything it's it's still a lot of weight to have with you and and even though you can compress it to i think it goes down to like 30 liters or something if you zip up the top portion yeah. but then where's the rest of your stuff right like I, I think the idea ideally is that you you pack it really heavy with all your stuff and then you leave most of the clothing related things at your hotel or wherever you're staying and then keep just the camera gear that you need um as you as you're out uh during the day which is fine um but i'm not convinced that that's a better solution than having a dedicated like clothes in here and a smaller day pack that is dedicated to okay camera and other stuff that that i need with me on a on a daily basis yeah this is clearly aimed at the one back travel kind of people yeah which is appealing on paper, but there's really no good reason to to have that as the ultimate travel strategy. Like one bag travel when it's convenient is great, but if you're gonna end up with more pain points than you would have if you just brought two bags, it kind of misses the point, at least as far as I'm totally. concerned. And another thing that I find curious about this backpack is that if you pack it really full, like if you use the expanse, uh, like the expanded compartment that makes it be 45 liters, then it's not carry-on compatible, which seems to be very weird to me. Like the the biggest configuration that you can still carry on the the plane's cabin with you is if you don't use the expansion. And that seems weird. I don't know, because if you end up traveling abroad and you buy more stuff, you need that expansion then on your return flight. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, are you supposed to check the bag? That's really not ideal if you're carrying expensive camera equipment inside. So I don't yeah, know. It kind I, of defeats its own aims from that perspective. And it's it's kind of, it's a strange thing because typically when you think of one bag travel, part of the appeal is that you don't have to check a bag, right? right. And so if this forces you to do that, then it's kind of like, well, what, if I'm checking a bag anyway, why not? You know, so yeah, I agree with you. It's a little bit of an unusual positioning. Um, I guess from their perspective, they wanted to give people flexibility. And realistically, even in its smaller configuration, uh, there's plenty of room right. in the bag. It's this is a big bag. Um, it's it's definitely not something I would feel constrained by in terms of interior volume for for a big trip. But yeah, for me, the big sticking point was actually uh, the cost of the system. Like, it is so expensive. Yeah, if you want to get everything, yeah, it's really expensive. But the backpack alone, I think, is reasonably priced uh, if you consider the alternatives. Yeah, I guess in comparison to the alternatives, yeah. it's it's reasonable. But, like, man, this is a very expensive travel system. Um, you know, we we can get lenses for less money than this bag. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, <laughs> which is a scary thought. Um, and you can get a lot of plane tickets for less money than, than this bag. <laughs> well, you can, Mr. Europe, but we we can't <laughs> over here in Canada. Um, but yeah, you know, you're right. And it's... Uh, no, but really, I, I'm going to fly to Los Angeles from Madrid in December. And the entire return trip cost less than the full uh, travel system from Peak Design. So... To put that in perspective, that's transatlantic flight. And yeah. Yeah. And the reason I, the reason it's a sticking point for me is that if you look at it as an investment in your travel, like it's, I'm, I'm okay with paying a lot for it, but it has to, it has to provide advantages that I can't get for less money elsewhere. You know, like it has to, it has to earn that value. And I'm not yet convinced that it, that it does for the reasons that we've stated and, um, you know, I have no doubts about its quality in terms of craftsmanship, in terms of things like that, because Peak Design has already shown that they are uh, thoughtful in their design of products. Like they they do a good job. Yeah, there. but like a common criticism that I've heard regarding Peak Design is that they over-engineer their stuff. And I think here that argument is perhaps more spot on than previously, because the everyday bags are very well designed and and they are full of nice smart features and 
so is this bag, but I think they may have taken it a step too far in some cases. And it's a complicated bag to to get to know and to figure out how to use it. And I, I get it. It's great to provide options for people. But at, some, at the same time, uh, those options may become overwhelming if if you have to read a 50-page manual just to learn how your backpack works. That's not ideal. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a strange thing. It really is. It feels like a system in the sense that you have to, like there's a there's a manual. There's a, It's not just a, a, a bag. It is like there are a lot of little details that uh, that you should master if you're going to buy it because, you know, that's how you get the most out of it. Um, but not everyone wants that. Yeah, and you know, for the people that kind of complication for the people bag. that like that kind of stuff, and of which I'm sure, judging from the Kickstarter results, are a lot of people out there. Uh, it's great. It's great to have options. If you like what Peak Design is doing with this system, all the power to you. It's it's. Yeah. I mean, I like the company. I think they make great products. The quality is really really good. And in fact, I own several of their products, and I couldn't be happier with them. So, this is just something that doesn't match my personal style, my personal taste, but, uh, you know, to each their own. Yeah. And I think for me, the biggest concern is actually the same one that I had with the, uh, um, with the everyday backpack, which is comfort, um, under right. load because looking at the, um, and again, we, we, we haven't seen these in person yet. We can't really know for real, but from the, uh, images that they've provided so far, it looks like the, uh, harness and the strap system is very similar to what's on the everyday backpack. And I find that to be insufficient, frankly, in terms of comfort, uh, particularly if the bag is, uh, fully loaded. Right. I, I've always found that the everyday backpack, uh, despite all of the adjustment points to make sure that it's sitting correctly on your back and despite the presence of a sternum strap and a, uh, a hip strap, I just found that it gets um, very uncomfortable compared to other backpacks that I've that I've had um, over longer periods of time, which is a shame because it's it was definitely the most practical backpack or the most versatile backpack that I've ever owned. Right. Um, and that's that's cool, but ultimately this is something that I carry, and and because of the way that I like to travel, and because of the way that I like to you know go on hikes and things like that, I carry it for a long time, and in you know challenging conditions where I'm I'm hiking, I'm sweating, I'm whatever, and so I want my bag to feel comfortable even in those circumstances. And for me, the the everyday backpack didn't, and yeah. that's why looking at this one and seeing that it it seems to have a very similar strap system, I, I'm yeah, that's I'm wearing. Yeah, it's also white when it comes to bags. It's so important to try them in person because you can love the looks of a yeah. bag, you can love uh, everything about it, but if it's not comfortable to wear for you, then it doesn't matter. It's not. It's never yeah. going to work. And for instance, I've had that happen to me with the leather owner bag, the Brixton. I love everything about that bag, but I just can't carry it because it kills my back. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. So I still own it and use it. I should probably sell it, but I still own it and use it. But I don't use it for the purpose that I bought it for. I just use it as a day messenger bag, but I don't ever put camera gear inside because the second I do, it becomes so heavy that it kills my back. Yep. Finally, I that doesn't happen to me with the everyday backpack. I love everything about that bag. It's super comfortable on my back. And I've been using it more and more ever since I got it last year. So that just goes to show that no two people are alike. You know, one bag may work for you, it may not work for me, and vice versa. So it's important that before you spend so much money on a bag, if you can try it in person, please do it. And if not, at least make sure there's a reasonable return policy that if you can actually use it and it doesn't work, then you can return it. Yeah. And I think that that's something that with Peak Design, at least, you know that it will eventually be in stores because all their other products are. Yeah. So if you can wait, it's probably worth waiting. The savings are, uh, you know, significant, I suppose. But I feel like at the point where you're spending several hundred dollars on a bag system, spending another 50 bucks or another hundred dollars or whatever is probably okay if it means that you have an opportunity to make sure that it actually works for your use case. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, your mileage may vary. And I also recognize in terms of comfort that I am 100% the outlier here because almost literally everybody that I've spoken to about the Peak Design backpack 
uh, which is a lot of people, they love theirs and they find it very comfortable. So clearly it is it is me that's the outlier there. But yeah, like you said, it's it just goes to show that that people's preferences and and backs and I guess uh, <laughs> differ. So but it, it is what it is. But anyway, it's an exciting Kickstarter and I wish them the uh, the best of luck fulfilling everything because the demand is obviously there and they still have 54 days and they've already tripled their... Um, yeah, I'm so. not worried about their success. Not even, no. not even a little bit. But it's fascinating <laughs> nope. to me how companies keep reinventing travel and travel gear and travel setups. You'd think that in all the years that people have been traveling and with frequent uh, low-cost airlines and everything, like worldwide travel is easier than ever before and cheaper than ever before. So it's it's great to see that companies keep reinventing themselves and offering more and more solutions for people to travel with different bags, more comfortable bags, more convenient uh, bags. I don't know. It's just exciting. And I love this whole uh, ecosystem. I'm a bag nerd. <laughs> I think I think that's pretty clear. Uh, I've owned more bags than I can count. And uh, yep. <laughs> I'm just trying to be good this time and not uh, buy it just for the sake of it, because I don't really think I need it, but it's exciting. It is, it is. And it is, I, I wonder if if the um, lower barrier to entry, I suppose, for, for this kind of travel has meant that there are more people thinking about and, and rethinking about the ways that we typically think of travel. You know, we used to always do the, the big rolling luggage yeah. thing, and that was just the default. And, you know, having people out there going, well, you know, wait a minute, is that actually the best way to do this? Is there a better way? Is there a different approach? That's really cool, and and for those of us who like geeking out about this stuff, it's it's nice to see um, so many different companies putting in their offering for what they think is the ideal way to travel, to carry, to uh, you know. Yeah, and part of it is influenced by the airlines because there are more strict policies recently when it comes to checking bags. They're getting more and more expensive, at least in Europe. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, if you want to check a bag, it's you and you have to pay upwards of 50 bucks for each bag that you check. Yikes. And uh, the cabin baggage has also been pretty restricted around mm -hmm. here. So you have to be very smart about the stuff that you're going to take with you if you don't want to end up paying a lot for the for the luggage. So yeah, it's it's good that, that we have more options and that if you're smart about it, you can get away with flying cheaper than ever before but you definitely have to have to work at it. It's not, it's not simple. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of travel, though, you are about to embark on a journey. I am. A really exciting one, by the way. I This is one of those trips that if I had to take by myself, I probably never would have done it because I'm honestly not... This, it's not the type of trip that I would enjoy by myself, but it, I'm going with a few friends and that changes everything. Uh, we're going to be visiting Israel and Jordan. Uh, and it's going to be, as you can imagine, there's tons of historic places there yeah. and lots of very cool photo opportunities. So I'm trying to make a conscious effort to be well prepared for that trip. And over the past few months, I've been rethinking my whole travel setup, my camera gear, how I can make sure I have everything I need, but nothing more than what I need because I don't want to carry more stuff than I have to for a number of reasons that we can get into later. For sure. Uh, yeah. But the point is that this is what I would consider to be a once in a lifetime, uh, once in a lifetime trip for me, and uh, I'm trying to approach it. You know, I'm trying to do my homework before <laughs> before I go. It, just to make sure I enjoy it and uh, and I have everything I need with me. And in that sense, uh, well, since we're talking about bags, <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, I don't think I'm going with a travel backpack as my main bag. I've, I've tried okay. that. I've done it before. I've spent 24 days in Australia with just a backpack uh, and 21 days in Brazil, again, with just a backpack. And I made it work. It was great. It was super convenient, no doubt about it. But I can't say it was comfortable, especially when you're right. traveling to someplace hot uh, mm -hmm. during the summer, wearing a, a, a very heavy bag on your back. You sweat a lot. 
you get tired because it's just not comfortable. It's not nice to carry. So that alone would have me reconsidering it this time around because it's going to be very, very hot in Israel and Jordan yeah. this time of yeah. the year. Uh, so I'm trying to not have to carry a huge bag on my back if I can get away with it. Uh, so that's out of the question. And what I've been doing for my past few long trips is I've been taking a small rolling suitcase, ideally one that I can still take with me on the plane. Mm -hmm. Okay. All my clothes go in there. And then most uh, long distance flights, you're allowed to have two bags, like a, your main clothes bag and then a smaller bag. Yeah, a personal item like or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, in my experience, the everyday backpack is usually allowed in that category, like you are not forced to check your suitcase if you have your everyday backpack on top of it. Right. I've managed to sneak both in the in the plane cabin. So that's what I've been doing, and it worked. It works great. And if they ask me to check the suitcase, I'm, I have no problem doing it because all my clothes are in there, but my gear is in the backpack. So I find this is a much more convenient way to travel uh, when I'm. Uh, walking across the airport, I can just take the backpack off and put it on top of the suitcase using the luggage sleeve that the backpack has built into it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I don't have anything on my back, so it works great. And it just, I like knowing that my bags are in, my, my clothes are in one place, sorry, and my uh, gear is someplace else. It's just, I don't know, it makes more sense that way. Yeah, it's good to have that separation. And particularly when you get there and you're not stuck carrying clothes when you don't necessarily need to be. Yeah. That was actually my my question for you is, is in terms of this trip, are you going to be able to leave the luggage behind somewhere? Yeah, we have, we have rented a few apartments everywhere we're going. Okay. So we're not staying at a hostel or a hotel room or... Yeah, that's not going to be a problem. Awesome. Yeah, then it's perfect. I think that that is a more elegant system. I mean... It's worked well for me in the past. I guess if I end up having some incident, I may reconsider it. But so far, it's been working well for me. Certainly better than than going backpack only. And it's been since I started taking more camera gear that I've sort of switched things around. If I weren't taking the camera with me, I probably would give backpacks another chance. But uh, if I'm carrying both things, it's it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So what about other stuff? Because in, in Slack, you were telling us that you were kind of trying to decide on on whether you wanted to have an even smaller bag for really light carry, like something that was, you know, yeah, maybe even no camera. Yeah, we, we've talked about this before because the one thing is what you're carrying during the trip, like while you're traveling. And once you get to your destination, you sort of want things to be smaller and lighter and different, right? Like yeah. I may take four lenses and a camera and a tripod with me because I'm going to be out for two weeks, but that doesn't mean I want to have everything with me every single day. Yeah. So having a smaller bag that I can uh, use as a day pack when I'm when I'm out and about, I think that's a good... Um, it's worth the extra complexity, so to speak. And and that's something I like doing. In the past, what I used to do is I have uh, a couple bags that fold nearly flat and I can stuff them inside my main suitcase or even in the uh, extra compartment of my larger backpack. That's what I used to do before. Right. So I, I always like having a day bag with me. Not just because I often like to carry just one camera and one lens with me, but also because I have uh, diabetes, as some of you may know. So I always need to have a bag with me to carry everything I need to make sure I can, you know, check my blood sugar levels. I have my insulin with me, everything I need. I always have a bag with me. And since I need to have that, well, I may as well use one that can fit a small camera as well. And since I bought the little uh, Bond Street Biona, I think that's what it's called. Yep. Uh, that's what I've been using. And <laughs> what I do to make sure it doesn't become like an annoyance when, when I'm traveling is I use it as a packing cube, basically. I stuff it full of clothes. I put it somewhere inside the, the main suitcase. It's nearly transparent to bring along that way, so it's not like I'm carrying another bag on top of the backpack, which I would hate. Right. And yeah. I find it works uh, very well. And your other option is the uh, is the Peak Sling, which you also own. I own as of this week, actually. <laughs> I, I got it two days ago. So, yeah, I don't know how much of that is... I, I, 
I'm interested in bringing it along, but I don't know how much of that is just because it's the new thing in my life and I want to use it because yeah. I want to figure out how how I like it. So far, it's been great, and I've been using it uh, while I was, you know, walking around the city, and uh, it works very, very well. It's more comfortable than I expected it to be when carrying a heavy load, and that's what has me reconsidering if maybe I could get away with just carrying this sling instead of the everyday backpack. But I think that's a stretch. I don't know that I that I want to do that. You have owned both bags for a while, so. What's your take on that whole sling versus backpack? Yeah, I you know what? I, I find that the backpack is definitely the one that I would reach for in a travel context, even if I'm not carrying that much with me necessarily, just knowing that I have that extra space if I pick something up while I'm wandering through the city or, you know, I can I can much more easily carry a jacket with me. Yeah. Um, and I and I find that under moderate load, it's more comfortable than the sling is. Um, for a long day of wandering around. The sling is, like you said, it's it's quite comfortable um, and surprisingly so when you've got a lot of stuff in it. But I just, I don't know that it's worth having a sling and the Bond Street plus yeah. luggage. Like the, they're too similar in terms of carrying capacity. I think that the Bond Street is a better choice for your light carry because you can bring your camera with a small lens and you can bring the diabetes stuff, um, but it's a much more compact and um, less visible carry in a way like it's a fancy bag but it doesn't really look so noticeable yeah it's not um, a techie bag yeah exactly exactly and the the everyday backpack is definitely a, a techie bag but it's also more practical for for travel stuff and i i think that the weight distribution over longer periods of time is probably better like the sling is okay but even because it's mostly balancing weight off of one shoulder it can become uncomfortable sooner yeah um, so yeah, and I, and I think you're right to be, uh, you know, to, to recognize the fact that you want to bring the sling because it's, it's new and it's exciting and it is a great bag, but mine for instance is, is basically my like at home in the city everyday carry. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I'm traveling, yeah, it's, it's definitely the, the backpack. Yeah. I, I, I was, think I, I agree with that. And we hit that, uh, we talked about it on Slack the other day. That's sort yeah. of the conclusion we arrived to that the backpack is the better, travel bag while the sling is the better bag to use every day in your city. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think it's a good way of looking at it. So that would mean I'm taking the suitcase, the everyday backpack and the small owner bag. And that's my packing setup for this trip. And that gives you a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Like within between those three, you've got you've got all sorts of different carry scenarios accounted for. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And the, which is the whole point really. I don't want to be uh, thinking about it too much. I think with these three bags, every bag has its very clear purpose. So the bag And you're familiar is... with them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well tell me a bit about what's going in them camera wise because you've got some <laughs> you've got some new gear for this trip which is uh which is interesting and might change the I do the loadout. I do. So I have over the past few months, ever since we uh recorded the last episode, although it was last week really, <laughs> uh we talked about in one of the last few episodes that we that we published we talked about how i was uh considering selling my 24 to 70 f4 lens and i've it's a decision i struggled with over more than a year really because i loved that lens and i got great images uh, out of it but i knew it wasn't one of the best lenses in the system and it was nagging me you know in the back of my head but at the end of the day, I made my peace with it. I was fine with it. What ended up convincing me to sell it was when I realized it was a lens that had a design flaw that meant the autofocus motor was very likely to fail over time. Right. So I just didn't want to risk it. I got rid of it. And I've been without a standard zoom for a few months, actually, because I didn't want to rush into a decision. And I was considering a few alternatives over what to replace the 24-70 with. And honestly, one of those alternatives was nothing. Yeah. One of the yeah. options I considered was not buying a standard zoom and instead switching to a combination of small and light primes, uh, which would be very similar to what I used to shoot with back when I was shooting Olympus. And that 
I was very, very interested about exploring that part of it again. So what I did was I ended up buying a very small prime, probably the smallest prime for the Sony system that exists as of today, which is the Samyang 35mm f2.8. Yep. It's a, almost a pancake lens. I don't think it's officially considered a pancake lens, but it's, it's right there. And it weighs nothing, like really nothing. When I got the, the box... I thought, uh, when I picked it up, I thought it was empty. <laughs> yeah. Because it really weighs nothing. It's like 80 grams, which is, it, it's lighter than your typical iPhone charger. Right. You know, yeah, just crazy. put that in context. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so I've been using that, you know, daily uh, and I've been loving it. And of course, I'm going to bring it um, along for the trip because it's just so convenient. It weighs nothing. I can put it in the bag and I don't even notice it's there. But for those times when I don't want to carry a big expensive lens and I want to, you know, sort of have the camera with me just in case I need to shoot something nice, but I don't want to be carrying all my gear, that's that's a very great option. I'm trying to find the balance between being a travel photographer and being a person who likes to travel, who, who's traveling, a person who likes photography that's traveling, which is a very important difference. <laughs> yeah. Especially because I'm traveling with friends. This is not a, a, a trip where I can uh, test their patience and become annoying and take 30 minutes every time I want to get sure, a shot yeah. to properly yeah. get everything out. And so I have to find a balance. And, and I think this lens is a good way of making sure I can have my camera with me every day but at the same time, not get too caught up into the photography workflow part of, of things. Um, and that's one one part I'm very excited about. However, I did end up replacing the standard zoom with another standard zoom because at the end of the day, when you're traveling and for an important trip like this, I want to I wanted to make sure I would be able to capture good images. I mean, I'm going to be in places that are so photogenic that I just wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't bring a, a, a good lens with me. No, of course. Because I'm going to be visiting Petra, you know, the gorgeous yeah. place in the desert. Uh, and it's just, I have to, <laughs> basically. And There's also an element of weather sealing because you're, you're traveling through an area that is very dusty. And so yeah. swapping lenses is something that you probably don't want to be doing a lot, right. um, particularly out in the field. So having a standard zoom is more practical because it means you've got all sorts of different focal, ra- uh, focal length range, um, but you don't have to worry about swapping right. or you know anything like that. And to be fair, I like standard zooms. It's not like I'm all of a sudden... Uh, like swearing never to use one again. Like I, I, I yeah, really enjoyed yeah. my twenty four to seventy lens, and I, I missed it. I don't, I don't think an all prime setup works for me all the time. I mean, I, right. I certainly enjoy it, and and it's something I, I like the simplicity of, and I like shooting that way. The creativity that it forces you to to use it, I, I just think it's a more engaging way to shoot. Yeah, but. The convenience of a standard zoom is hard to give up, you know, and I actually enjoy shooting with one. So I decided I needed to get another lens and I considered a few options. Um, of course, the new Tamron 28-75, I think it is, F2.8, is, it, it appears to be a terrific lens, great, great value, and the image quality looks to be amazing. Another option that I considered was the Sony 24-105 f4. Yep. And finally, of course, the 24-70 f2.8, the G Master lens uh, that Josh bought in in Canada a year ago when we were all together. (laughs) And he loves it. Yeah, he really does. So I've been, you know, trying to decide among those three for a while. And I've discussed this with you before, and I think we've, we may have even talked about it on the show at some point. I'm not sure, though. But there's a there's a tension between having more reach or having a more a sort of higher-end lens, if, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. And that's where I wasn't sure what was the right call. Like, do I go 24-105 and make sure I have, you know, better reach with 
without having to switch lenses? Or do I go for the lens that's going to maybe give me that extra stop of light that it may mean getting a cleaner image in a challenging lighting situation? Uh, and I, I honestly don't know that I've made the right choice, but in the end, I went with the G Master lens, the uh, F2.8. It's as to why I think it's complicated. I think it, this was one of the bucket list lenses for me, and that's a big part of it. Yeah, uh, I've always believed in buying the best lenses that you can afford because lenses you're supposed to keep for a longer period of time. The bodies come and go as technology evolves, yeah. but the glass really doesn't change. So these are investments, and I think it it, it doesn't hurt me to spend a little more on a better lens. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and it's it, it's also the kind of lens that um, because you're not swapping it out, it kind of like this whole range is now covered, and it's not something you have to worry about. It's one of your, it's one of the lenses that you've always wanted to own, and now yeah. you do. So it's just one less thing to to worry about as far as your gear is concerned. I also think it's wise because um, you have the seventy to two hundred. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of reach, you don't really need this standard zoom to also get you that far out into the telephoto range because you've got a dedicated piece of glass for that which is also very good and which you also bring with you everywhere so it's in your case in particular i think this was the right call i was saying while you were still deciding that if you're going to go for the 24 to 105 then you should probably travel with that and without the 70 to 200 yeah. because that overlap would make it kind of silly to bring both um, but because you like the 70 to 200 and you get such good results from it, it makes sense. Yeah, that sense was never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, so for you, it makes sense to, to have, you know, the best 24 to 70 and then this excellent 70 to 200 and you're covered. Like you've got that entire range, um, and it's, it's perfect. It's versatile and, uh, it's not that much gear, you know, yeah. comparatively speaking to travel. Yeah. And the, the parts where I struggled with, uh, it's the. First of all, the size and the weight. Like the 24 to 70f2.8 is a bigger and heavier lens than the 24 to 105, but surprisingly, not by that much. Yeah. Like I went to a store, I held them both, and yeah, it's noticeably heavier and bigger, but not to the point where it would make a difference. Like it wasn't a deal breaker in any way. Right. So that put my mind at ease. And then the second aspect of it is, of course, price. The G Master lens is significantly more expensive than the 24 to 105. And that was something I struggled with for a while. But luckily, I found a good used copy on you know local classifieds, and I ended up buying it uh, for a very reasonable price in basically like new condition. Like it was, it really was in excellent condition. You couldn't tell that it yeah. wasn't a new lens. Yeah, you really so, lucked out. Yeah, I guess I did. I mean, it's a lot of money still, but it's not. It wasn't so expensive that the difference would be outrageous between the two. Like you might as well stretch your budget a little bit more and get the lens that you really want instead of compromising just yeah. to save a few bucks. You know, so time will tell if I made the right choice. Uh, so far, I've been taking it out nearly every day with me, and the weight doesn't seem to bother me. That's always a good sign. So I guess it looks good. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have it with me on this trip. I think I'm. I don't think the results are going to be, you know, mind-blowingly better than what I used to get out of the 24 to 70 f4. Like I'm not suddenly expecting my photos to be an order of magnitude better. I know that's not going to happen. Uh, most times, I probably won't even be able to tell them apart. But just the peace of mind that I get from knowing that my lens is not going to break down over time, yeah, I think is is important and it's worth it. And you might you might be surprised, you know. I mean, the fact that you can now go down um, another stop uh, in terms of light gathering means you might be able to tackle lower light shots than you would have attempted with the f four, and it might be sharper out to the corners, so your landscapes will be a little crisper. Um, yeah, I but, think you'll find ways to take advantage of the the subtle. Yeah, and there's there's certainly an improvement. I mean, I mean, definitely these lenses better than the one I used to have, but. Uh, I'm just trying to temper my own expectations and it's going to be better. In some cases, it may be obviously better, but in, I'm willing to bet in the majority of cases, it'll be similar. And that's fine. Right, but I'm it, trying to say that's fine. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm okay with yeah. that. 
because you bought it for the intangibles really it's not it wasn't so much that you were your your main goal was to get a, a huge iq leap right and but there's something to be said about that too like i'm using a, an a7 ii which is a camera that's a bit long in the tooth already and has been already re- replaced at the at the same point in the lineup by the a7 III, which everybody seems to be raving about. And my camera still works perfectly well. I, I will eventually upgrade it. But the the fact that I'm shooting with a 24 megapixel sensor is important, I think. Because I know that this lens will still allow me to get great results when I eventually upgrade to a higher resolution sensor, if I ever do. Yeah. Right, and that's I think that's where you can see a bigger difference because then you have more creative tools at your disposal. Like you can use cropping to get images that you that I couldn't get today, for example. And you know, just knowing that the lens will be able to keep up is a big thing. Yeah, you're preparing for future use Lodo, which is important. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, that sounds like a compact travel kit, um, comparatively speaking. I mean, you've got you've got two zooms, and then you've got your your sort of everyday carry version of the thirty-five millimeter. You said you're not going to bring your because you own the one point four, which yeah. is a, a glorious lens. I love but it. it is big. Like that's that is a heavy photographic tool, and in the context of travel and for this particular kind of thing, the smaller thirty-five makes more sense because that will be uh, something that you can toss into the Ona. Uh, Bond Street and just have with you when you don't feel like being a capital P photographer right. <laughs> um, on a given day. Yeah, that's exactly right. The 3514 is a lens that I love to death. I mean, it is, creatively speaking, is my it is my favorite lens by far. Yeah. And I have no intentions of parting with it. Uh, but there's no denying for a trip like this, it doesn't really make sense to bring it. So it's staying home. and. I like to say I'm just bringing two and a half lenses because <laughs> the, the little 35 <laughs> is just so tiny that I, I it barely counts. It, yeah. it barely doesn't count. Yeah.